Isn't it just amazing, you guys, to think about, you know, people who spend years building something that finally becomes a success, right? Not so much as thinking about achieving that success, but then losing it all due to circumstances often beyond your control. Ah, but the very best part of all of this, hearing the story of someone who reached the heights of success, fell all the way back down to the bottom, but then built it back up, not only to its original height, but bigger and better and taller than ever. So Mark Dixon is that story. 30 years ago, way before its time, Mark saw the need for virtual and flexible workspaces, and he pioneered the very first form of it. He started a company called Regis. You've heard their commercials, right? Maybe even used them. You can have a virtual assistant, a business address, even if you're working from home or on the road. You get mail services, etc. It's sort of an instant office, if you will. Huge success, right? Mark became a billionaire. But then, well... You know what? Let's let him tell you his unbelievable story of losing it all and then building it all back. We welcome Mark Dixon, the founder of Today International Workplace Group, which has more than 3,500 locations and and what, millions of customers around the world, Mark? That's incredible. Yes, we're we're up to about 8 million customers now. Stop. 8 million. (laughs) That's like all of Manhattan. Yeah, it's a small city. I've always heard these commercials about Regis. And, and I've thought, this is so genius. If I ran my own business, you get your own assistant. You get, if you happen to be in that town, you get to just show up at an office and take meetings. Where did you come up with that idea? What was it that you saw decades ago? Well, I, I just saw a need. You know, in my all of my business and entrepreneurial career, I've always been trying to find not what's there, but what's missing. And... I always felt that real estate and the, you know, just getting offices was way too hard. So it's about making it easy. And even in those days, 30 years ago, it's trying to convert a very uncustomer friendly experience into a customer friendly experience. And that's, that's, that was the germ of the idea. And it, it all started out with one building, one center. One building, one center. But how did you get the money? How did you beat the bushes to get the money for that one building? How, what, how old were you? I mean, I've just I have so many questions about uh, how you sort of well, started. Well, I started at about 14, <laughs> left school at 16. Um, but I was I was doing small businesses at 14, 15, 16, left school, started my first proper business. Um, it wasn't that proper in that I, I worked really hard for six months and didn't make a single cent um, because, you know, I was, I, was doing a, I was doing an early version of like a food delivery business way back, way back when and delivering sandwiches to offices. But the sandwiches had too much filling and I didn't make any money. But great education, good way to start. And then I did other businesses, food businesses, um, construction businesses, apartment rental, um, and sort of built up doing one business after another over, basically, I did about six businesses before I started mm. Regis IWG in 1989. I was 29. Mark, you can't just gloss over, I left school at age 16. How do you do that? Your parents, did anybody say, wait a minute, that's not perhaps the best idea? I mean, what gave you the courage to do something that radical? Well, 
it was a look. A lot of people tried to persuade me not to leave school, um, and uh, you know, I got a, you know the, the the best exam results at sixteen at that level, which is important in the UK mm-hmm. where I was brought up. But I, I I had a few issues at home, wanted to leave home, so I not only left school, I left home on the same day, never went back. And um, so it was sort of the circumstances as well as I just found education a little slow and I wanted to get speeded up and and do things myself. Selling encyclopedias, you did that. Lumberjacking? Yeah, that was in Australia. Um, You know, after doing that sandwich business, I realized that I needed more experience. And, you know, I'm talking life experience. So I traveled around the world, worked, did all sorts of different jobs. I worked in the iron mines in Australia, um, lots and lots of things, and worked with some fantastic people where I was able to act sort of like a sponge, absorbing information, seeing how people did things, how do people run businesses. Look, I was doing menial tasks, but... I could see the way things were operating. It was a great, you know, year's experience, just over a year of just doing things. This is key. You just said, I was doing menial tasks, but I became a sponge. I want all of our listeners to seize upon that because some of them are sitting there thinking, I'm in a dead-end job. I don't know what I'm doing. This isn't leading anywhere. You, it sounds like, forced these jobs to lead you on a path. Am I correct in, in assessing it You're like correct. that? Look, every, nearly everyone I went to school with uh, went to university. And I had a, a mission to educate myself in, you know, I read a lot. I did a lot of practical things. I didn't want to end up, you know, when they came out of university at 20, 21 years old and sort of be in some kind of dead end position because I didn't have an education. I didn't want to fail. I had this fear of failure that drove me on to do different things. But I'd only stay in a job for as long as I gained experience. Then I'd move on to the next and and went to many parts of the world, also gaining international experience. Um, You know, I was, you know, a young man, and that's the time to do it. And during these travels, as you got older, as I understand it, you you watched people in coffee shops who happened to be on the road traveling but trying to conduct work. And you were watching as they're sitting in airport lounges. And here comes Regis, where you could provide people with an instant office. To me, this almost feels like the original version of WeWork. It, it is the original version <laughs> of WeWork. I mean, basically, look, over the 30 years I've been doing this business, look, it's become, you know, we're four times the size, for example, of WeWork. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this is a business that's been built up, you know, piece by piece through with small amounts of money, well invested. Um, WeWork's different. They started out with $12 billion or so, um, you know, they've come from it from a completely different angle. But we do the same business. And, you know, it's a very exciting place now that the world's changed the way it's working. Absolutely. But it, again, you're building this up. You're building this up from 1989 onward. And when did you start to feel, wow, 
we're really kicking butt right now. I mean, we're making money hand over fist. I'm doing well. I'm living La Vida Loca. Was there some pivotal moment or points of time where you said, okay, this is this is really running on all cylinders? Well, that's a fair, that's a very good question. Look, when you're running a business and you're building a business, I, I didn't have, you know, I had five children as well. You know, I, I didn't really have the luxury of standing back and admiring my work because I was too busy. <laughs> I, I was sort of too busy right in the middle of it, built, doing it. Um, what I can tell you about one experience, and this was in the UK, they have uh, something called the Rich List, which is published by the Sunday Times. And... Um, I turned up in the rich list with the same amount of money that year as the Queen. I was right next to the Queen. Um, and uh, that was the first time I really, honestly, I mean, look, I, I was I, I, I was making money, but I reinvested everything in the business and totally self-financed it right up until really for the first eight, nine years. Didn't borrow any money, absolutely reinvestment, reinvestment. And, um, you know, I hadn't thought of myself as having money, but other people obviously thought differently. And, and uh, yeah, that, was the, that was the eureka moment when um, I, I, you know, it, it's a list, but, uh, you know, I, I got somewhere. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I like that your head was so deep into the business, you didn't really even notice because you were so busy making it work. And so yeah. there you are, you're on the rich list, and here comes the dot-com bubble burst. What happened? And what happened to all that you had built up? Well, that's, you know, this is, um, uh, you know, just roll forward from that moment. Uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, seeing it in that newspaper. Um, but then we IPO'd, we, we got some... Um, uh, private equity money in. We grew even more quickly right up to the end of 2000. IPO'd in 2001, you know, mm. for about the last company to IPO prior to the dot-com. And then we got caught by the dot-com. And that basically, we had a lot of tech customers and, you know, tech went, you know, totally downhill in a very, very short space of time. And we were too long on that on tech business, simply that. And um, so, that, you know, that was a hero to zero moment. We just IPO'd and a year later, you know, we're having to totally restructure the business because it was just sharper, a recession, and we weren't set up for it at that time. Mm. We're not done. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates 
candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yet, we'll be back in a moment. Did you start to look inward and think, this is it. It took me so many years to build it up. And this is now just not exactly a pile of rubble, but I I can't. Can I really build this up again? What does someone like you do at your lowest business point? Um. You, you, I mean, basically, you're, you're, you sort of spend a second staring into the abyss and then do something about it. So it's, um, you know, again, you, my evaluation was, you know, was this a problem with the business? Was this a problem with the market? Is it, you know, is it worth it to focus again, rebuild it? And it was very clear to me in 2001, 2002, that it was absolutely worth it. The demand for what we were doing was increasing, even in those days, mm-hmm. as more and more people used tech, more and more people wanted to use, to sort of take their space on a platform rather than signing a lease. Um, you know, it, it was obvious it was good business. Look, we got the timing wrong. And that can happen to any business at any time. Um, but we set about immediately, we didn't waste, you know, that, that sort of stopping and thinking lasted a day. And then the next day, we started to fix it. You must have been nervous. <laughs> I mean, you must have thought, gosh, do I have to now work another 20 years to build this back up? And yet you dove back in and you continued to keep this thing afloat. And then... Things start to emerge from the dot-com bubble bursting with all of the junk that was spread all over. And it's just, I mean, I that was when I kind of realized, wait a minute, this business news thing is a little strange. Because I come from, uh, you know, general assignment news, drug busts, explosions, murders, uh, you know, yeah. hurricanes, mayonnaise festivals, whatever. And, um, you know, <laughs> you realize when you go into business news, there really sometimes is no logic for what happens. Or it's not your fault, but you lose nearly everything. As you begin to build back the business, what did you do differently? Well, look, it's one of the most important things is to learn lessons from mistakes that have been made and, oh, yes. and, and apply them. Mm. And, and so we reconstructed the business, but in a way that it would withstand cycles, recessions, you know, the equivalent of hurricanes and tornadoes and all of these things, because yeah. <laughs> that's what the world of business is like. I mean, if you look at it today, we operate in 120 countries. Wow. You know, we're operating today in a war situation in Ukraine, for example. But we've we've been through a number of wars, Iraq, many, and it's, you know, the and, and economic cycles. So we built the business to last at that point. And we built, we structured it so that it would flex during cycles, flex when there were problems. 
And it was that moment, which was, you know, a near-death experience that was the making of the business because we stopped and thought and said, right, we never want that to happen again in that way. Let's do something about it. Brilliant. Now I want to ask you, because as you started to rebuild and you made a much stronger foundation that would, so to speak, have earthquake insurance where it would move when certain tremblers, you know, Templars, I don't know, they spell it strangely, but earthquakes hit it and it would sort of bend and, and move versus break and crack. Here comes a company like WeWork. And it was highly leveraged, and suddenly it became this darling. And you must have been looking at this thinking, at, I don't know, was it envy? Was it wow? Was it, uh-oh, this this company is making the mistakes I made back in the day? I think it's a, it's a good look. And that's the other thing in business. You get, you know, earthquakes and tornadoes, but you get left field things coming in that you could never expect. And that's what we work was. I mean, this was... A, a company that came from nowhere but got basically 10 or $12 billion of cash backing, wasn't even dead. Right. And, you know, th- this was, you know, an unbelievable, you couldn't, you couldn't have ever, you couldn't have written that script, but it happened. Um, uh, you know, and I, I spent many hours scratching my head and getting my people to investigate the business, tear it apart, and say, is there something we're missing? Uh, apart from the fact they've got huge amounts of capital, which they seem to want to spend as if capital's going out of fashion. Mm. And, and so, you know, that's it was a head-scratching moment. It wasn't, you know, you, you compete. I mean, our business was on solid foundations, much more international, much more coverage, many more locations, made lots of cash flow, you know, it, it, it's it's not the same thing as we were, but we had to check it because, you know, maybe they did have a secret source. And if they did, we needed to have it as well. In the end, we all saw that they didn't. This is fascinating. You know, it reminds me, apples to kiwis, but it does remind me of back in the day when AT&T could not figure out how MCI, remember them, MCI, how they were coming in with such better numbers than AT&T. And the CEO at the time, I think his name was Armstrong, he was really mad and he was trying to get his managers to catch up with MCI. And the whole thing turned out to be, over at MCI, fraudulent. And Bernie Ebers, the CEO of MCI, went to prison. And you you do realize when something looks too good to be true, it very often is. Absolutely. Now, what did I see recently? You guys just bought last year, invested in a, a, a very nice building on Park Avenue in Manhattan, some of the most expensive real estate in the whole world. Tell me what you plan to do with something like that. And what's the future of virtual office space? Well, look, it's it's a look. We've, if you look at the next the next year, we will open about a thousand buildings, additional buildings like that building in Park Avenue. Uh, you know, we're opening them all over New York and all around in the suburbs of New York as well, because the world of work is changing, and you know, come individuals are driving it because they're saying, "Hey, we would like to work." close to where we live, please. 
or mm. some people want to work from home, but a lot want to work close to where they live and come into the city maybe one or two days a week to meet with colleagues or customers and so on. So, you know, the, 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 the reason we're opening such a lot of new sites now is because the demand for hybrid working from companies and individuals is at unprecedented levels. And, and this is due to the COVID pandemic, uh, where everyone experimented with this type of working and it worked quite well. And it's continuing as now becoming the norm. And so we're, we're, you know, it's the highest level of growth we've had pretty much at any time over the last 20 years. As we finish, you've got so many brands. You've got Regis, Signature, Spaces, HQ, Stop and Work, all these other names. You have a bunch of listeners right now, many who dream of starting their own businesses. Make your pitch to them. What do you give them? I mean, if I sat there and said, I want to start a, a business that uh, makes the handmade satchels or whatever. Uh, tell me exactly what you could offer me that would give me a leg up in doing that. Well, look, I think, and a lot of people ask me this, well, what, what, I want to start a business. And, you know, the first thing I'd say, look, it's really tough. But if you get it right, it's really fulfilling. The thing you've got to do, though, is, you know, really do your research before you start, number one. Research it and again and again. Check competition, check the market, check everything. Be thorough. Do it quickly. Don't take a year doing it. Do that in three months, six months max. Okay. And then, you know, if you're ready, have commitment. You've got to be committed. It's like sort of learning a new sport, learning to play the piano. You can't do it in half measures. You've got to have commitment. And you've, and a lot of people will tell you it can't be done. A lot of people say you're doing the wrong thing. But if you've done your research and you believe you're doing the right thing, then get on and do it. And, and there's never been a better time to start a business than, than now. Lots and lots of opportunities and uh, lots of things that are missing from the world that good entrepreneurs can bring to make the world a better place and make customers happier. Oh, what a great story. Mark, thank you for sharing it with our Everyone Talks to Liz listeners. This means so much to me because you validate exactly what is needed, you know, I mean, to really succeed, maybe lose it all and then fight back and build it up better and richer and better. Thank you very, very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Mark Dixon of International Workplace Group, IWG. Isn't that awesome? See, that's the thing. We talk a lot about people who started with nothing, build it up. Yay, they're doing well. We don't often get these kinds of stories where people lose it all and then scratch back, but they learn from the mistakes, okay? Thank you all so much. You are everything to me. Your listening time that you give us, my producer Grace Cannon and I are so appreciative. Please spread the word about Everyone Talks to Liz and, of course, 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on Fox Business. It's the Claim and Countdown. I'm right there, live in living color. I'll see you next time.